What a way to celebrate Easter, right? Today I want to talk to you out of the chap out of the book of John, John chapter 20. And I want to talk to you about this issue of what is so special about Easter, the Easter that we, we celebrate. Uh, there's a story, a story about an elderly man, and he was a wealthy man, and uh, he was days away from, from dying, from passing away. So he told his wife, he said, you know what, I, I've heard that you can't take it with you. But he says, I want to do everything I can to take it with me. And so he asked his wife, he said, would you mind going down to the bank and, and getting all of my money out of the bank and put it in a, in, a, in a sack or a bag, and then I want you to hang that bag in the attic. And then when I pass away, as my spirit goes up to heaven, I'm going to try to grab that bag and just take it with me. A few days later, he passed away, and all of a sudden, she remembered the bag of the money and bag of money in the attic, and so she ran up to the attic, and sure enough, there was the bag of, uh, and with all the money in it. And she thought, and she said, she says, oh, he was such a gripey old man, I knew I should have hung it in the basement. You know what? Jesus Christ cares deeply where you and I are going to spend eternity. And one of the reasons that we celebrate Easter in the way that we do, in the, in, in, in the way that, that we do this, is because he wants us to live a life and that life more abundantly. He wants us to have a relationship with him and spend eternity with him in heaven. I want to give you just three things this morning that, that Easter shows us or reveals to us about, about God, about Jesus. The first one is this. God cares enough to reveal himself to me. This is personal. God cares enough to reveal himself to me and the way that he did that it was through the life of Jesus Christ. In other words, that he wants us to come into a relationship with him to be able to live this life and live this life more abundantly. The scene at the, at the empty tomb is all about, uh, all about Jesus wanting to reveal himself that he is God. And so you find that Jesus reveals himself to different people in different ways, in a personal way, in a way that in which they could relate to. In John chapter 20, verse 11, he looks at Mary, and Mary is standing outside of the tomb crying. She is the only one that is left at the tomb. See, all the disciples had fled, and they're hiding in their houses and their homes because they're, they're in fear that they will, that they will be next. And, and she is there, and she has this encounter in front of the empty tomb with Jesus Christ. John chapter 20, verse 14, here's what the scripture says. He says, she turned to leave and saw someone standing there. It was Jesus, but she did not recognize him. Verse 15, dear woman, why are you crying? Jesus asked her, who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener, and sir, she says, if you have taken him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will go and get him. Mary, Jesus said. And she turned to him and cried out, Rabboni, which is Hebrew for teacher. Jesus revealed himself to Mary that he is, that he is God, that he had did exactly what he said that he was going to do that he was crucified and he was buried and he died and then on the third day that he rose again, that he did exactly what he said and exactly what he promised that he would do. Verse 17, then he says to her, he says, he says, don't cling to me, Jesus says, for I haven't yet ascended to the Father, but go find, go find my brothers and tell them I am ascending to my Father and your Father. This is like huge, to my God and to your God. This is so important because, see, the disciples had failed. 
You see the disciples, some of them had said, we're going to go with you all the way to the cross, and they didn't make it to the cross. They're like, they're like hiding. They had to feel like they had failed. But when you look at this story, you realize that, you know what? Jesus did not hold their past against them, even though they had failed, even though they hadn't done the things that they said they were going to do. Jesus is still revealing himself to them. He is still reaching out to them and letting them know that I still love you and I care for you. Verse 20, he has this conversation with the disciples and he says as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side and they were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Each person, when you look at the gospel account, you realize that Jesus revealed himself to them that he was God, he is God in a different way, in a personal way. Not to condemn them and not to judge them, but to save them, to remind them that he wants to have a relationship with them. But you know what? It, it, it doesn't stop there. Scripture tells us that, guess what? He wants to reveal himself to us, to you, in a very personal way. That's why 2,000 years ago, God came to this earth in human form. His name is Jesus Christ. So that we could understand who God is. So we understand what the character and the personality of God. So we can understand what God is really like. Colossians tells us this, that Christ is the visible image of an invisible God. And so this is so important for us today that, that we settle for ourselves. Who is Christ? Who is this Jesus? You see, the way in which we answer this question will determine a lot of things. It will determine the way in which we live this life. It will determine where we spend eternity. See, Jesus often told stories called parables in the scriptures about God, about the character of God. And one time, it was very unusual, but Jesus tells three stories back to back. It's like bam, bam, bam about the character and, of who God is. And he told, this on three, uh, uh, he told these three stories in Luke chapter 15. And some of you are familiar with these stories, the, the parable of, of, of the hundred sheep and one is lost and the ten coins and one is lost and the and the two sons, and one is lost. You realize as Jesus tells this story, it's his view, it's God's view of humanity. The sheep, the coin, and the son. Evidently, Jesus is saying something to the critics, the religious people of his days, the leaders of the, of the churches or the synagogues of his day. He is telling something to them that, you know what, I welcome sinners because all people are like the sheep, the coin, and, and the son. And so you have to look at this story and say, how, how did they get lost? The sheep just, just wandered off slowly. It wasn't a tragic event. It wasn't a tragic set of circumstances. He just wandered off slowly, just kind of got out of the habit. The coin was a result of a tragic circumstance. It was a result of a tragic circumstance that the coin got separated from the headdress. The son, his choice, rebellion. In other words, he's trying to communicate that God sees all people like this. To his critics, he's saying, you go to your churches, you go to your synagogues, you, you lock up your doors because you don't welcome sinners home because you don't see people like I see people. In other words, you don't see people in the way in which I see people. See, when you look at the story, you realize that there's an aggressive seeker in, in all three of these stories. A shepherd leaves the 99 for one. A frantic wife cleans and searches the entire house for the one coin. The frantic father watches for his son's return. The shepherd finds the sheep, and what does he do? He calls a neighborhood party. Where? In the house, in his home. Why? To bring the sheep back into fellowship. The woman finds the coin, and what does she do? 
She calls a neighborhood party. Where? In her home. Why? To bring the coin back into fellowship. And what does the father do when, he, when his son returns? He throws a party. Where? In his home, in the house. Why? To bring his son back into fellowship. And I wonder if Jesus is trying to tell us something today. I wonder if he was trying to tell his critics something of their day. I am here for the wanderer. I am here for the person that has gone through a tragic circumstances and, and tragic season in their life. And I am here for the one who is rebellious where it was their choice. The point of this, you matter to God. Your life matters deeply to him. And he cares for you more than you can ever imagine, more than you could ever think. In each one of these stories, in each case, it's like there is, there is no rest until what was lost was found. What was lost was rescued. And Jesus is God and he stands on the outside of his home, scanning the horizon for his children. That's all not that complicated. It's his love for you. Wouldn't it be strange if I told you that I have two daughters, Brittany and Amanda, and it is my goal for my children, my two daughters, that only, only one goes to heaven, only one believes in God, only one has eternity in heaven? Wouldn't you say, what kind of father are you? And Jesus is a loving, heavenly father. And there is not one human soul that he wants lost. That's why John 3.16 reads, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son. For whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. The second principle is this, God cares enough for you and cares enough to rescue me. God cares enough to rescue me. The disciples, remember, had, they, had, they had gone to their homes and they had fled and they had hid because they were worried that they, had, they, they were next and they worried that they had let him down. Verse 19, John chapter 20, the scripture says, that Sunday evening the disciples were meeting behind locked doors because they were afraid of the Jewish leaders. And suddenly Jesus was standing there among them. Peace be with you, he said. And as he spoke, he showed them the wounds in his hands and his side. They were filled with joy when they saw the Lord. Again, he said, peace be with you as the Father has sent me. I am sending you. Much of us may be like those disciples that we're, we're locked in, in fear. We're locked in fear over our past and something that we feel guilty about. Listen, Jesus wants to rescue you from the guilt of your past. I have net, I've never as a pastor met anyone that get, didn't carry some level of, grit, of guilt for their past. Everyone has sinned. Everyone has made mistakes, right? None of, us, none of us in this room are perfect, right? We've all blown it. You know what? If, if you are perfect, why don't you stand up? We all need to see what denial looks like. <laughs> none of us in this room are perfect. And the bottom line is this, God is scanning the horizon for his children. And the bottom line is this, is you have broken God's law and when we break man's law, we pay man's penalties. And when you break God's law, you pay God's penalties. 
And so you, you, you've blown it and you deserve to be punished for the wrong that you did and so do I. But here's the good news. Here's the gospel. That Christ died to rescue us from the penalty of sin. And somebody has to pay the penalty for things you've done wrong in your life. Either you or someone, someone else. And the good news is this. Is Jesus has paid the price. Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for our sin. That's what Easter is all about. It'd be like me going to jail for, for a crime that you committed. That's why a, a song that we worship to called the Lamb of God, just, it just like wipes me out every time we, we worship to this song. The Lamb of God took, took my place. Your blood poured out. My sin erased. It was my death you died. And I am raised to life. Every sin that you've ever committed or every sin that you will commit has been paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross. And that is the good news. And we just need to come to the place where we accept it. And the guilt of your past, because you know this, right? The guilt of your past will destroy today and will destroy your future. The guilt of your past will keep you from being successful. There's a, a Peanuts cartoon. It's one of my favorites that I just clipped out. And, and Lucy had missed yet another fly ball. And so as she apologetically approached Charlie Brown on the mound, she, she said this. She says, she said, I'm sorry, Charlie. I thought I had it, but suddenly I remembered all the others I missed. The past got in my eyes. Well, you know what? The cross takes the past out of your eyes. And he wants to rescue you from the guilt of the past. And he came to rescue us from a meaningless life. In other words, in John 10, 10, he says, I've come to give you life and give you that life more abundantly. And you know what? There are some people that never really live. There are some people that never really know why God has placed them on this earth and their, their purpose for this, this life and this purpose in their life. And the last principle is this. God cares enough to relate to you. God cares enough to relate to you. All through the gospel accounts, you realize that, that Jesus relates to people personally in a different way. Verse chapter tw uh, John chapter 20, verse 21, the scripture says, And he said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so am I sending you. And he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, he was sending them to relate to us today. And the Bible says that you and I were created and we were made to have a relationship with him. That you were put on this earth. In other words, you're an object of, of God's love. And God put you on this earth to have a relationship with him. And the most amazing thing, the most mind-blowing concept is for me that God desires to have a relationship with me. And he desires to have a relationship with you. It's almost inconceivable that you were made to have a relationship with him. And God still wants to have a relationship with you. And you may think, you know what, I've, I've, I've committed the unpardonable sin. I've, I've committed a sin beyond redemption. Well, I'm here to tell you this morning that God wants to have a relationship with you. You may have done something that you're so ashamed of and you so regret. But God wants to have a relationship with you. You may have hurt someone. You may have betrayed someone. There may be a broken relationship because of the things that you've done. You may have stolen something. You may have an addiction. 
You may have committed adultery. You may have walked through a, a divorce. And I want you to know today that God still cares about you. In other words, this, there's nothing that you can do to make him love you any less. And there's nothing you can do to make him love you any more. His love for you and his love for me is unconditional. His love for us is not based upon what we've done. Even though you may feel unworthy. Even though you may feel hopeless. Even though you may feel too, too old or too young. God wants to have a relationship with you. And the question is, where do we fit? We fit in the kingdom of God. And the church is the kingdom of God on heaven. The prodigal son that I mentioned earlier finally comes to his senses in a, dis in a, in a distant country. And he comes to his senses because he realized that nobody has it better than kids in dad's house. And the Bible says that the prodigal, the wayward son, made his way back to the house. He made his way back to dad's house. And lo and behold, he finds his father scanning the horizon for him. It's, it's, the, picture. it's the picture of God. And the father was outside scanning the horizon for him on a regular basis. It leads me to believe that the father can't enjoy home until all of his kids are home. Evidently, he is my home. And so the dad runs towards his son and, and wraps him up and tells him how much he loves him. There's a lot of confusion and there's a lot of talk about this dad and why did the dad run out to meet him. And maybe this morning we could try to understand that just a little bit deeper. See, there was a Jewish custom of their day that when a son betrayed a dad, when a son disowned a dad, when a son publicly embarrassed a dad and he left, that when he would try to return to the community, the elders of that community would meet the son at the city gates. And they would take him down to the center of the village or the center of the city. And they would take a clay pot and they would break it at the son's feet. And that was the picture of his broken relationship, his broken covenant with his dad. That he could no longer be in relationship with his dad. And so after they broke that pot banning him from the community, they would escort him out to the city gates to where he could never have a relationship with his father ever again. And so this father, God, runs to his son. He wanted to get to his son before the elders of the city got to his son. And he says, bring out my best robe and my ring and my sandals. In other words, I love you. I will give you my identity. The parable tells us that the father celebrates reunion with his children. Not a public rebuke, not condemnation, not guilt and judgment. When his son returned, it was, it was evidence of his softened heart. And the father throws a party. He welcomes him home. And Jesus said, this is why I eat with sinners. I'm like the father who celebrates reunions with returning sons and daughters. And you know what they'll discover in his house? Love, forgiveness, and acceptance. I wanted to give you a contemporary picture of what the prodigal returning looks like. The very best illustration I have is a video that you're about ready to see. It's of Gigi Graham, Billy Graham's daughter. This is what she spoke at her, spoke at her dad's funeral. Watch the side screen. I have my own Billy Graham story, so I'm going to tell you that one. And I've told it many times, and some of you have maybe heard it many times. But it bears repeating because, to me, it speaks to the essence of who my father was and is. 
After 21 years, my marriage ended in divorce. I was devastated. I floundered. I did a lot wrong. The rug was pulled out from under me. My family thought it'd be a good idea for me to move away, to get a fresh start somewhere else. So I decided to live near my older sister and her family and near a good church. The pastor of that church introduced me to a handsome widower and we began to date fast and furiously. My children didn't like him, but I thought, you know, they were almost grown. They didn't know what they could, they couldn't tell me what to do. I knew what was best for my life. My mother called me from Seattle. My father called me from Tokyo. They said, honey, why don't you slow down? Let us wait to get to know this man. They had never been a single parent. They had never been divorced. What did they know? So being stubborn, willful, and sinful, I married a man, this man, on New Year's Eve. And within 24 hours, I knew I'd made a terrible mistake. After five weeks, I fled. I was afraid of him. What was I going to do? I wanted to go talk to my mother and my father. It was a two-day drive. Questions swirled in my mind. What was I going to say to daddy? What was I going to say to mother? What was I going to say to my children? I'd been such a failure. What were they going to say to me? You, we, we're tired of fooling with you. We told you not to do it. You've embarrassed us. And let me tell you, you women will understand you don't want to embarrass your father. You really don't want to embarrass Billy Graham. <laughs> and many of you know that we live on the side of a mountain. And as I wound myself up the mountain, I rounded the last bend in my father's driveway, and my father was standing there waiting for me. As I got out of the car, he wrapped his arms around me and he said, welcome home. There was no shame, there was no blame, there was no condemnation, just unconditional love. And you know, my father was not God, but he showed me what God was like that day. When we come to God with our sin, our brokenness, our failure, our pain and our hurt, God says, welcome home. And that invitation is open for you. Thank you and God bless you. Our church exists. To simply say, welcome home. No guilt, no condemnation. We just view ourselves as the welcoming party when sons and daughters return. Before we sing our last song, I just have a question that you may be asking. Is there room for me? And we would say yes. No church is perfect. But we are doing the best we can to do our part to 
just live out that vision that God created the church to live out. And here's my prayer for you this Easter Sunday. That you would discover, you'd realize how deep, how long, how wide God's love is for you. And I don't want you just to know it. I want you to experience it. You've heard the prodigal's welcome home story. You've heard Gigi Graham's welcome home story. And I want you to hear a little bit of my welcome home story. I was in my 20s when I stumbled into a church. And they were worshiping to a song called Softly and Tenderly. It was in those words. I, I, I had no clue it had anything to do with the prodigal son in the Bible. I had no reference of Scripture. And he started worshiping to and singing these words softly and tenderly. Jesus is calling, calling you, calling for you and calling for me, watching for you and, and for me. And then just come home, come home. Ye who are weary, come home. Earnestly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling you, O sinner, to come home. Would you come home this day? Would you bow your heads with me and just close your eyes?